Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Each of the 435 members of the House of Representatives in the United States Congress represents approximately 680,000 people and is elected every two years. Mike Thompson is in his fourth term as representative of the 1st Congressional District in California, which extends along the northwest coast of California. Congressman Thompson visited the studios of Radio Curious on February 22, 2005. We had a lively discussion about issues of the day. It began when I relayed to him a question posed to me earlier that day. When will the Democrats get their act together? <laughs> That's probably not the first time I've heard that question, as, yeah. as you can well imagine. Uh, I guess it all depends upon what someone expects uh, in regard to getting your act together. I had an interesting lunch today and uh, with a fellow who his number one issue was a strategic energy plan. And, and why can't you guys uh, get out and do that? And uh, why can't you get some like-minded Republicans to work with and, and help, you, uh, help, help you figure that out? And the short answer is uh, Democrats, the way the people who are in charge are, are running the House, uh, aren't able to legislate. They've completely shut off uh, all avenues with, uh, by which you would do that, and, and it's a, it's a one-party government. Uh, both houses controlled by the Republicans, the White House controlled by the Republicans, and they're putting forward the public policy uh, issues that they want put forward, and they're writing the bills. Uh, prime example, and I guess the most egregious example, was the prescription drug bill last year, where they wouldn't even allow the Democrats to come to the conference committee. What I'm asking deals more with the election. The Republicans, as I heard it, used key words. When Bush was campaigning, he used key words that would attract certain special interest groups. Uh, they have a, a religious evangelical agenda, some people allege. They focus towards specific groups like that. The Democrats don't seem to have the ability to bring in the voters. If I can encapsulate the problem on the Democratic side with one simple uh, explanation, Democrats believe we're there to legislate, we're there to solve problems, we're there to work with anybody who's interested in being part of the solution and figure out how to make the country and the world a better place. And you're right. Uh, the other side has been very, very astute at skipping right over the solving problem issue and being able to uh, use issues that galvanize uh, voting blocks, uh, solving problems, not uh, part of that uh, program. Well, I think you, use, you gave that as an example um, today on February 22nd when you spoke to the Ukiah Chamber of Commerce. The issue of Social Security is dealing with something that will be a problem in 37 years as opposed to a problem now. That's, that's correct. That's, uh, uh, that, that, and, and, and as I explained, uh, I don't think it's something that uh, the party in charge wants to fix. They, they want to get rid of it. But short of getting rid of it, they want to create a situation where uh, they appear to be the ones who are forward thinking and, and want to fix the problem. And the Democrats are the ones that are backwards thinking and want to be obstructionists. 
by fixing or drawing attention to Social Security does not draw attention to housing or employment or health care. Or Iraq or a, a, a fiscal condition that's going to put our probably now great-grandchildren uh, in debt. Another good example is uh, today it was, uh, it was um, uh, reported that the group that is pushing for privatizing Social Security has hired a group to fight against AARP uh, on behalf of uh, privatization. It's the same group that did the uh, the uh, swift boat operators for truth. The debate on Social Security has transcended uh, any policy debate and moved right to gutter politics. What do you expect will happen when the Social Security privatization proposal comes to the House Ways and Means Committee, of which you are a member? I think there's a, a real high probability that it won't be brought before the committee. Again, in order to do what he's talking about doing, it's going to require a tremendous investment uh, up to $2 trillion to start these private accounts. Uh, we don't have the $2 trillion. We'd have to borrow the $2 trillion. So he's talking about borrowing $2 trillion to privatize Social Security. Short of that, uh, you would at least pay the first installment uh, if he's serious about this, which is about $756 billion. There's no $756 billion in the budget. He's left that out of his budget. So I question whether or not they're really serious about doing this or this is being done for political purposes. Well, that's what I want to ask. Um, I want to address the issue of uh, the Patriot Act renewal and the accounting for the war. But before we go to that, do you think that the Social Security issue is a ruse uh, that is being forwarded to the Congress by the executive to take away time and thought to those and other issues? I think that that is very possible, as well as what I mentioned before, and, and that is uh, a proposal that's been floated to convince the voters in 2006 that Democrats aren't forward-looking, uh, willing to work together to fix a problem. They're backward-looking, they're obstructionist, and they, they, they want to keep the same old program. Well, let's talk about the Patriot Act. It's up for renewal because certain provisions within it are supposed to sunset. Um, what do you see happening? I think they're going to have a real hard time uh, doing what they set out to do. And I, I think they'll have a hard time just renewing what they have, let alone expanding it. Let's talk about what they're setting out to do and, and also look back on what they have. I think if they had their rathers, they would expand it to do and I'm not in a position to tell you what that might be uh, because it hasn't been disclosed yet. Uh, but there's been talk that they want to expand it to be more inclusive rather than just uh, renew it. But I think they're going to have a hard time even renewing the Patriot Act. They may end up doing it, but I don't think you're going to see uh, any great bipartisan support for it. Right now, the Patriot Act would allow a federal judge to issue a search warrant anywhere within the United States. A federal judge in Louisiana could order a search on the north coast of California on virtually any topic concerning any resident with a threat requiring silence under the threat of criminal charges, like the bookstore owner being asked what books uh, Mike Thompson bought 
And if uh, the bookstore owner tells Mike Thompson, then uh, the bookstore owner is charged with a crime. I understand that to be the case, right? Yeah. So you don't see that that has much hope in the current Congress? I don't think it's going to uh, be welcomed with open arms. And I think it's going to be a heavy lift for them to get that passed. There's uh, people on both sides of the aisle uh, who will be opposed to that. Last time when uh, the first Patriot Act was passed in October of 2001, was it the scare and fright that was going on in the country that allowed it to come through? Yes. Uh, and if you recall, there was uh, some partisan differences on, on the first Patriot Act. The Democrats were not able to get what they wanted. They pushed this thing. The, the uh, majority party pushed it straight through. The only concession that we were able to get was the sunset clause that you talked about, uh, where certain parts of it uh, sunset uh, after a, a certain period of time. And that's when we'll come back and revisit uh, the, these issues. But it was the 9-11, the fear uh, that the American people shared that allowed this thing to pass. The security and the access to the halls of Congress was uh, heightened extensively right after that, and I presume the height is still there. But is that fear still there in the halls of Congress? Let me just add one thing. There, there was that fear that was certainly a part of it, but there was also uh, some very uh, real uh, lapses that needed to be addressed. And I think the thing you heard most was that we were trying to uh, track down criminals who were using uh, 2003 technology with crime-stopping methods that were used to deal with rotary dial phones. So there was a, a, a belief, I think a, a legitimate belief, that there was a gap that needed to be filled. So add that to the fear, and that's what brought about the uh, uh, quick passage of the Patriot Act. I don't know that the fear is uh, is still there, uh, and it wasn't just the fear in the in the halls of Congress. It was fear across the country. Well, I know, but it's represented in the halls of Congress to a great extent, by what you hear from us. And I, and I think that uh, it's diminished some, but I saw that uh, Rumsfeld was on television the other day talking about uh, the new threat, and they had information that uh, we were going to be susceptible to another terrorist uh, attack. Uh, I, I think they manipulated the uh, terrorist attack probability uh, throughout the election season. I think we saw that firsthand. It's interesting how as soon as the votes were tallied, we haven't had any more scares. I'm sure you've heard some of the reports that the Bush administration was perhaps privy to what happened on September 11th prior to that date, uh, and all of the reasons why NORAD didn't respond, etc. Do you feel that there's any validity to some of these conspiracy theories? Well, you know, I've never, I've told you this before, I, I've never been a conspiracy theorist, but there's uh, hardly anything that would surprise me anymore, uh, and that happened since I've gone to Congress. But um, I, I think that I, I think it's a real stretch to think that uh, George Bush or anyone else uh, had uh, an idea uh, of what was going to happen and would stand by and, and do nothing. Uh, I think that there were some real lapses in our security process. I think that the administration did not keep its guard up. I think that they had plenty of warning that there were problem and instead 
they were in the, they had other priorities uh and i think that the 911 commission did a real good job in pointing this out but i i would i would uh find it very very difficult to believe that anyone would stand by and watch something like this happen it was interesting to watch the president in fahrenheit 911 as he sat in the elementary school in sarasota florida for 7 minutes very <laughs> In this edition of Radio Curious, we're talking with Congressman Mike Thompson on February 22, 2005, in the studios of Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Mike, let's move on to the war in Iraq. You have called for an accounting. How much does it cost in money and in diversion of funds that could otherwise go to the homeland and in lives? Do you feel that you will get any answers? Well, um, I, you know, I don't know. Uh, it's, I think it's premature for me, for me to say. Uh, I do know this, that this is a very, very similar to the bill I proposed two years ago. And I was able to get one co-author on the bill two years ago. I have about 25 co-authors already. The uh, Blue Dog Democrats, which is a group of moderate to conservative Democrats, have endorsed the bill. So it's a Blue Dog endorsed bill. And we're picking up, we have, I think, 21 Blue Dog co-authors, and uh, then the others are, are regular, just, just other members of Congress. So I think it's something uh, whose time has come. Uh, people are understanding that we need, we need a success strategy in Iraq. We need to figure out how we can uh, accomplish what needs to be accomplished as soon as possible and get our people out of there as quickly as possible. And I think that this will help do that. It will certainly help uh, make sure that the money spent is spent appropriately. And probably most important, it puts Congress back in the loop. Uh, Congress has abrogated its oversight responsibility, and the administration continues to operate in, in this regard uh, through the supplemental uh, appropriation request. Nothing goes through Congress. Congress needs to reassert itself uh, in the oversight. Uh, process. When you say abrogated the oversight responsibility, what have they done? What have they given up? They've allowed the war to be funded, completely funded, through a mechanism that is outside of the budget process. So there's very little scrutiny. Uh, there's very little accountability. And most important, the thing that your listeners should be most worried about Every penny spent in Iraq is going right on to the national debt. It doesn't go through. It's uh, it's not part of the of the calculating to the deficit numbers that we see. It's not something that we're paying for as we go. It's borrowed money, and we're borrowing the money, forty two percent of it from foreign countries to fund this war and who knows how many other DOD uh, operations because uh, a lot of the money is uh, fungible and it's moved uh, from one account to another. That debt would have to be paid by our children and grandchildren, Democratic and Republican alike. How do you see the Republicans who are supporting this uh, accumulation of a debt uh, justifying it to themselves and to the future of our nation that we'll hand on to our descendants. I think it's one of the most intellectually dishonest acts 
that um, many of my colleagues uh, could ever be accused of, uh, of performing. Uh, the idea that we can continue to borrow at the rate we're borrowing uh, and, and spend it for things that you know, don't fall into the emergency category. And no one wants to take away from the uh, importance of military funding or the seriousness of this war that we're, uh, we're in. But remember, it was a war of choice. It wasn't a, a war of necessity. We made a conscious effort to go into Iraq. It was a choice that was made, not in response to, uh, to any attack or anything. And to do that by borrowing the money is unconscionable. And now, three years later, continuing to borrow the money, and the administration says, well, we don't really have an idea what the war is going to cost us. That's why we're not putting it in the budget. If we don't know what the war is going to cost us after three years, we've got problems that are more serious than we would think. Well, let's go back to your bill seeking an accounting and the co-authors that you have. You mentioned the Blue Dog Democrats are supporting it. How about the Progressive Caucus? Are they behind you, you know, on this? I'm not sure who the specific co-authors are. Uh, I just referenced the Blue Dogs because they endorsed the bill before it was introduced. I thought that was important uh, because that sends a message that this isn't some uh, effort to uh, proclaim that whoever's doing this is anti-war or anti-military. Uh, this is uh, a good fiscal mechanism by which to ensure that there is oversight in the expenditure, the money is going in the right place, and that the priorities, as articulated uh, in regard to this war, are being adhered to. The term progressive Democrats carries a, a connotation of where they stand on the political spectrum. But what does the term blue dog mean? You described it as moderate to conservative, but where does the term come from, blue and dog? Okay. Well, uh, it's, a, it's a group that's been around for a few years now. I think there are 35 of us, and I mentioned that they're both moderate and conservative Democrats. The one issue that we, uh, that it's kind of the thread that holds the group together, uh, is the issue of fiscal responsibility. Uh, we believe that we should work towards balance in the budget. Uh, we believe that we should be paying down the debt. We believe, most important, that there should be a budget enforcement mechanism which says if you're going to appropriate money, you've got to be you've got to pay for it and you know short of an emergency if there's a tornado or a flood or uh, a war or something that constitutes an emergency then there's uh, there are provisions uh, uh, for that but if you're going to do anything from uh, a new program to a tax cut you've got to be able to pay for that as you go so figure out what the offset is uh, the term uh, blue dog came about because uh, there were a, a group uh, before I came to Congress who said pretty much that they were yellow dog Democrats, but some of the policy that they were being asked uh, by their own party to vote on uh, was bad enough that they'd have to hold their breath uh, to vote for it, and they'd have to hold it so long they turn blue. So uh, somebody 
came up with the idea of Blue Dog and the uh, the artist Rodrigo who does that that blue Catahoula hound that I think he's I think he's a corporate uh, uh, logo now. I think he, uh, Rodrigo is sold out. But uh, at the time, Rodrigo lived next to one of the Blue Dog members and uh, said, "Hey, you can use my Catahoula hound, my Blue Dog, as your mascot." And that's kind of how it got started. Let's talk about the environment and particularly a group called River Watch, which is operated by an attorney in Sonoma County named Jack Silver. I understand that today you had a meeting to deal with some of those issues. Can you describe where that is now? What I've been trying to work on, and it's a problem that seems to uh, plague the North Coast, municipalities along the North Coast. Uh, There are municipalities that are working with the state water board to address infrastructure problems that they have uh, more often than not uh, with sewage disposal. And they've got a plan on the record. Uh, They're working towards fixing the problem, uh, constrained obviously by money. There's not enough money in the local government coffers to address all the infrastructure problems that are out there. And then uh, there's been some folks who, under the citizen lawsuit provision of the Clean Water Act, will come in and sue the municipality because they're out of compliance uh, with the with the law. And the municipality knows they're out of compliance. They're working to get in compliance, and they're working with the state water board to, to do so. And what it does is it causes uh, money to be spent uh, defending the lawsuit, staff time uh, working on the uh, on the defense, and more often than not, there's uh, it's settled out of court. It doesn't even go to court. And then there's a big fee that's attached that goes to this group or this individual that brings the suit about. And it's taxpayer money that's not going to fix the infrastructure, as was planned. It's taxpayer money that goes into some environmental fund that this uh, entity has. So I've been trying to work with folks to figure out if there's a better way to do it. Can we identify the problems? Can we spend all the money fixing the problems rather than through litigation? And uh, we've been working on that. We had another meeting today. Going back to where we started, You mentioned earlier that the Republicans have been characterizing the Democrats as not looking forward. What effect or leadership ability do you think that Howard Dean will bring to the Democratic Party as the chairman of the Democratic National Committee? Boy, I don't know. I certainly hope he does a good job. I wish him all the luck in the world. Uh, I hope he's able to uh, really mobilize the party and and, and move us uh, forward. We're all going to be pulling for that. But, you know, the jury's still out. We'll have to see uh, how he does and uh, how he performs. Why do you think all of the other people who ran for the chairmanship dropped out? They didn't have the support to uh, uh, to win the election, and they saw that right up front. Why was his support for this position different than his support as a candidate for president? Boy, I don't know. It's, it's a smaller universe, uh, and he was able to, and it and it's you know the real party faithful. So he was able to make an argument uh, to those folks that he could do a better job, and and uh, he was more convincing than the other people running. Well, Mike Thompson, Congressman from the first district, tell us a little bit about your life. It seems to me that you're on the go every minute. You're either on an airplane going from California to Washington, or when you're in Washington, you're in a committee meeting or working in your office. When you're in California, you're out in the district. Do you get any downtime, any personal time to pursue something other than 
Congress? Well, uh, it's a huge district, as you know. It's seven very large counties, and it stretches basically from just south of Sacramento over to the coast and up to the Oregon border. Uh, it's not only a diverse and large district, but it's a wonderful district. And, and you, you can't blame me for wanting to spend as much time as I can in any part of our district. I mean, we're, we're all all blessed to, to, to be here. But what I'm asking about is, do you have any personal time, downtime? You know, what are some of your interests? We hear about your political thoughts. Well, I you know, I, I read a little bit. Uh, and uh, I, I watch every once in a while, if it's a good movie uh, on United, I'll, I'll catch that either going to uh, to or from. I used to run a lot and, and exercise, as you can tell, that uh, that is certainly something of the past. Uh, just the schedule stops that from uh, from uh, from happening. Uh, I love the outdoors. I love to be outdoors. I love to uh, uh, to be out in the country and doing the things that uh, that uh, you do out outside. So I, anytime I get a chance, I'll, I'll do that. Well, we've come to the end of our time, and you brought up the last question. What have you been reading lately? What can you recommend to us? I recommend a couple of books. Um, I would suggest that everybody, and, and this goes back to the first question you asked me, and that's the direction in which the Democrats are going and the problems that we have in regard to uh, finding our way and making our arguments against the majority party. I would recommend that everybody read two books. Uh, one by George Lakoff uh, called Don't Think of an Elephant. And it's about framing and about the masterful job the Republican Party has done in framing issues, how they've actually changed the names of, of things. We know the common ones uh, would be uh, uh, late-term abortion, which they renamed partial birth abortion. Or inheritance tax, estate tax, which they rename the death tax. Uh, they've done such a marvelous job of that. A lot of people think that once you die, you have to pay taxes. and It's hard to do. If you think about it, after you die, you don't have to do anything. So, uh, But they've been, they've been masterful in, in framing the, uh, the issue. And then the other book, uh, one that I'm, I'm just finishing up now, is uh, What's the Matter with Kansas? And I think it does an excellent job showing how the Republicans have, have just been superb in getting people to vote for representatives who don't do anything at all to help their lot in life. Uh, the, matter of fact, the policies that they pass uh, help people with a lot of money and don't help the, you know, the, the poor working stiff at all, yet the, the, the working stiff uh, is supporting these politicians because of value issues that they really have nothing at all to do with. Abortion, uh, gay marriage, uh, things of that nature, guns, things things like that. We have the same guns today that we had, you know, when Clinton was president, when Bush was president. Nobody's going to take your hunting guns a away from you. Nobody wants to. And the whole issue of abortion, uh, I mean, just today we found out where the court refused to to hear the Roe v. Wade argument again. Uh, that's not a it's not a congressional or a legislative issue. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court interpreted the Constitution. It was a Republican Supreme Court that did it. And right now, uh, there's seven members of the Supreme Court that are appointed by Republicans. And again, they refuse to take this issue up. So uh, to vote for somebody because of that of, of that issue is is a real stretch. And I think that this uh, this book does a great job in explaining that. And then I just finished reading uh, Charlie Wilson's book, uh, uh, Charlie Wilson's War, which I think is a good read for, uh, for anybody and a very interesting read as well.
Congressman Mike Thompson, thanks very much for being with us on Radio Curious. Barry, it's always a pleasure. Thanks very much. Mike Thompson represents the North Coast of California in the United States House of Representatives. In this interview, recorded February 22, 2005, Congressman Thompson recommended three books. First, Don't Think of an Elephant, Know Your Values and Frame the Debate, An Essential Guide for Progressives, by George Lakoff. Second, What's the Matter with Kansas? How Conservatives Won the Heart of America. And third, Charlie Wilson's War, the Extraordinary Story of the Largest Covert Operation in History, by George Creel. Copies of this and other editions of Radio Curious can be found on our website, www.radiocurious.org. There are over 750 archives on our website, radiocurious.org, and I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters, and do enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The postal address is 700 West Smith Street, Ukiah, California, 95482. The phone is 707-621-5075. Ignacio Ayala is the assistant producer. I'm host and producer, Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.